Hey, what's up? What's up? It's your girls. I'm Rissy and I'm Shelves. And this is the podcast I totally relate. Yeah, mad resources. Okay, like, listen up, babes. Find yourself somewhere comfy to sit, have your coffee or your glass of wine, and prepare yourself for a phenomenal conversation that is going to open your mind, open your heart, bring you closer to who you are. Yeah. That's where we're going. We're going right to who you are. No fingers crossed. Becca. You are a sex therapist. So I am a master's graduate candidate for marriage and family therapy with a specialization in orthodox systemic sex therapy. So I'm not licensed yet. I'm in my master's. That's a mouthful. And then I own a um, trauma-informed emotion coaching company surrounding orthodox sexuality. So it's a lot <laughs> to, to, to say. And I'm long-winded, so then the title's even longer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Long-winded, girl. Like... <laughs> Don't hold back. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is going to be really fun. How did you get there? Yeah, what the heck? So, well, man, that's so, I don't know. I know, that's a loaded question. Did you just have like a an interest in therapy? And as you were going through, you're like, actually, this is a niche I would like to, or how, yeah. Yeah, how so there? originally, so I did my undergrad in um, child development and psychology, um, and I had a real, just like love for children in the sense of, I think most of the health problems mentally that we see as adults happen because of being a child, yes. um, and that's no one's fault. I'm not going to label like one separate person. I think everybody is affected by their adults. You know, we live what 95% of our lives subconsciously based off of things we've been taught by other people, and the other five percent is our conscious like will, right? So everyone's kind of being affected by that, and I thought that was really fascinating. And then I decided to do my master's in therapy. And then when I was given the opportunity to pick a specialization, I was looking at the options, right? And just talking to a bunch of people. I'd done a handful of internships that all surrounded sexuality, um, mostly around child sexuality. I worked a lot in like sex abuse. And Mm. then that does get a little bit heavy after a while. And so I thought, I enjoy sexuality. I enjoy therapy. Why don't I do maybe the more uplifting or the less <laughs> the less heavy side and obviously I do mm. still um I am still involved with like trauma work and things like that but yeah so I picked the speciality or the specialization on sexuality I just blended the words so that's kind of cool <laughs> just around the fact that I feel like so I am a, a member I grew up in an orthodox community um and one of the largest problems that I see in all orthodox communities but sp- specifically just the one that I experienced so um this might not be others people experience in orthodoxies but I feel like sexuality is not done well Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't think that it's because they're purposely trying to do it poorly I think it's generationally passed down inappropriately and so I saw an opportunity to make active shifts in my community and so I don't know I kind of latched onto that and it's it's always well received so yeah yeah wow you say orthodoxy or orthodox. Does that mean is that religion or is that just like a very uh, strong 
system in a community? What does that mean? Yeah, so orthodoxies are typically in reference to a religious system. It can just be a highly um, dense, conservative, um, one-way viewpoint of thinking. And I don't necessarily mean conservative in, like, political terms. I just mean, like, traditional Mm -hmm. value system. It doesn't have to be a specific religion. Orthodoxy kind of pans through everything. Um, So for one person, an orthodoxy might be the experience of an orthodox Jew, right? Mm -hmm. So they can't touch their partner before they're married or be alone with them before they're married. Um, You might have an orthodox Mormon, which is someone that just might not have sex before they get married um, if they're traditionally living within that flow of things but those two orthodoxies are massively different Mm -hmm. one you can't even be alone with the person one you are choosing celibacy before um, a formal union but they're both considered orthodoxies by their communities and so an orthodoxy just something to really point out here is the way we use words shifts our experience in life and so the way i use the word orthodoxy it might be different than someone that um, grew up in a southern baptist Mm -hmm. experience or a jewish experience or you know, so I'm from a different country. The same way that when I say family, it, you know, might mean two dads and me. Or for you, it might mean a mom and a dad and, you know, five siblings. And for you, it might be um, the foster family you grew up in. So when we use words, we have to really understand the term and the context because um, it's really going to shift based off of the natural assumptions we make because of our personal lens. Yeah. Um, so when I use orthodoxy in reference to my personal experience, I would use it in reference to just traditional beliefs, value systems, um, religion. But all of those words also are layered with experiences that I've had and um, maybe not someone else that's experienced those. So yeah. it'll feel different each time. Yeah. So I would love to jump into like this idea. So you, when you, you said something about like, when I say conservative, I mean, I don't mean like political, I mean like just traditional. Yeah, traditional and how there's that. things that are just handed down inappropriately or like not communicated the appropriate way, which causes like this cycle to mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Can you kind of, can you share some of your thoughts on like what, what traditionally is not working well <laughs> that we continue to hand down? I think something that stands out when you ask that question in the terms of this conversation, something that we pass down that is just so unhelpful is silence Um, in the sense of sexuality or mental health or healthy conversations about maybe tougher topics. We have passed down this inability to feel like things aren't taboo right? Sexuality doesn't have to be taboo. Um, Mental health doesn't have to be taboo. Hard conversations with your family and friends don't have to be taboo. But we've passed down this sense of being respectful. Um, Well, it's under the guise of being respectful, right? When really it's just the discomfort of having conversations that might create shifts in our relationships. And that makes us uncomfortable, right? Um, Feeling a difference in what was maybe our homeostasis originally, because humans love homeostasis, even if it's unhealthy for us. That's why we see people entering abusive relationships over and over again that, you know, maybe they grew up in a home where there was a lot of screaming, and they're partnered with someone that doesn't scream and they don't stay with them and then they choose to partner with someone that does scream more, it's not because the screaming partner is the love of their life. It's because it's more comfortable to be around this Mm. discomfort than to put in the hard work. So I think when I look at 
um, the context of something we're passing down. It's accidental shame and silence. And I think we, we do that a lot. Another one that comes to mind is I think we passed down the really weird notion. Because if we look back in evolution, it was not necessarily always this way. It wasn't not this way, but in a different context. Um, we passed down the idea that women are taught desirability and men are taught desire right and so I think that that is something that translates to children at a very young age I mean we can see through studies you know little girls making comments about wanting to change their bodies by the age of five or six and we can see in studies that we do with children that boys up until about six or seven I think children will acknowledge each other's discussions equally both genders up until about the age of seven and then they start aggressively acknowledging just the male perspective including the female children and so they take into consideration a lot more densely what the masculine energy in the room is and so I think they're obviously observing that yeah. from their adults, right? And so I think that's something we could work on as a, as yeah. a group. Can okay. you give like an example of like what that looks like? Like a, like a little girl versus a little boy and like what they're seeing? Like what do you mean by taking on just masculine traits? Or... Mm-hmm. So not necessarily taking on masculine traits, but taking on the idea that it's more valuable to be understood and seen and heard by the masculine presence in the room. So, and I shouldn't use masculine presence. There are a lot of femme women um, and non-binary people that have masculine energy, but male, traditional, hetero presence in the room. Um, And so an example of that would be valuing different traits, right? So if we value like a long-term trait of you know, boys are good at math and science. So we we hear that all the time, that men work outside the home, and that's because men are good at math and science, and jobs require math and science, and girls just aren't as good. And so children pick up on that message really early. So you'll hear boys speak very highly of themselves as young children in the realm of academia, whereas opposed to little girls will speak maybe more in like a social perspective um, and just won't speak as frequently as that because they're adults, including female adults are saying, you know, you know, men are better at math and science when, you know, in reality, when you test children, young girls are actually better at math and science overall. Um, Mm. And that's just because of the way our brains develop. And that's not saying women are better at math and science. That's just saying at that age, women tend to have a little bit more of a knack and that, you know, that's a very generalized statement. They're brilliant, brilliant little boys um, as well as little girls. Another thing that we see is maybe social circles with um, children, women, um, tend to be considered more social and better at talking with people and Mm -hmm. meeting the needs of people. And boys are a little bit less like that. Right. And so, um, we can see that, you know, really starkly developing in that young age group because women hit, or young girls hit a point where they're now being ignored, essentially, by boys. And so we have to make specific shifts for the group to involve us. Whereas boys don't have to make the shifts because they're more sought after by the group. Mm. Um, And so, you know, women have a little bit more of an ability just based off of the opportunity or the lack of opportunity given to them um, to have discussions with other people and they create more of a, a deep social circle at younger ages. So, you know, as we age, we have the need to have more friends. If you ask a little girl, 
you know, why is, you know, Becca your best friend? It's because I can tell her anything. If you ask Mike why he's best friends, it's because um, I can do anything with him. Like, we're just doing stuff. We're just hanging out. It's nothing about a deep emotional connection. It's about someone that will go and do what they want to do with them at that time. And we see that translate into relationships. When we're older, a lot of unhealthy relationships start because a lot of partners male partners don't necessarily pick the best suited partner but they pick the partner that will best morph into their life Mm -hmm. and that is not a dig at men at all there are wonderful incredible Mm -hmm. beautiful partnered men but that is just you know we are products of our environment and our systems and so you know if you're asking the question of how or what are some things we pass down that we could get rid of i think a lot of it is patriarchal um, mm. And I, I, I think the worst culprits of patriarchy are often women that uphold it. And I, I don't think most men are bad. I, I, yeah. And I don't think most women are bad. I think people are inherently good. Yes. And I think we're products of our systems. And I genuinely, you know, how is a man supposed to know that he's benefiting from this if he's never not benefited from it? So I'm not like holding them responsible, but I'm not giving them a free pass. Um, I think if you want to see something, you do the work to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I answered. I agree with everything you said. I can like see it play out in in my own experience too. Okay, so for example, my husband is a musician, and there was a long period of time where like I had a blog. So his his name is Timmy the Teeth, and so I had a blog called Mrs. Teeth, and like I did a whole blog about what it's like being his wife and like what he does and what his thing looks like. Yeah. I lost myself entirely and I can see that like, oh, we did the things he likes to we do. We took on his identity. Like I'm very much Yes. Okay. I was like, like I I like and, and parts of it I do like, right? Like I think I'm I am naturally inherently just a very adventurous person. And musically loving. Yes. Like, but I did have to set down my music loves for his music. So, like, oh, I love I'm, Queen Herbie is my jam right now. Yeah. I, like, know every single one of her songs. I just bought two of her lip glosses for $40. <laughs> I don't even care. So, I'm like, I want it. She's my jam. That is not his jam, and that is very embarrassing. Like, I don't like him to hear. Like, I play different music when he's around, when I he's see. not around. Not because the music is inappropriate or bad, but just, yeah. like. You're catering he's like, to he's the. like, you like that song? And yeah. Like, no, Whereas he can work. play something that's like screamo <laughs> and you're like, I hate this. But he's like, what yeah. do you mean? This is awesome. Yeah. And you just like deal with yeah. it. Well, yeah. I, yeah. and even yeah. deeper than that. So that, I wanted to tie this back to what you said also about the desirability. So I I happen, I do happen to like screamo and I have bands. I'm just like, <laughs> I know what those words do. <laughs> um, and I think that, so what I picked up growing up was that I wanted to be a desirable woman. And mm. so... I allowed myself fully to open up and be like, okay, tell me what it is that is desirable and I will do that thing. Yeah. And so tell me, can you talk a little bit more about desirability versus desire? Yeah. Yeah. Desirability (laughs) versus desire is um, the biggest and the smallest question in the world. Um, And I think, you know, we we do it in the subtle ways that we speak to children from a young age, right? When we speak to young men, we often say, what kind of job do you want when you're older? Like, oh, you should pick a really good job because you're going to have to pay for your family to be alive, right? Mm -hmm. And that becomes extremely transactional. Heteronormative relationships tend to 
have a homeostasis of transactional ability. Um, and that's not because partners don't love each other, but we, we gain that idea as children, mm-hmm. right? Whereas little girls, we might say like, wow, you're so beautiful. I don't know if you noticed earlier, I was speaking to your daughter, but I was trying to be extremely intentional. You know, I said, wow, I love your freckles. And you said, aren't they so beautiful? And I oh, said, yeah. they make you look so brave. And <sighs> so I wanted her to take on an idea of yeah. the way she is and her body and what she was offered doesn't have to be just something that uh that she's offering for me to look at I wanted her to realize mm-hmm. that I was intentionally seeing an attribute of her that maybe was physical but it doesn't translate into because you have freckles everyone loves you I was like because you have freckles you must be like super brave and can go out into the dark and do your own thing and like be yeah. on your own and you know go yeah. play by yourself as opposed to wow like xyz which women and men both deserve to be told they're beautiful and wonderful mm-hmm. and as their mother like obviously that's gonna be like a main core do you want to stroke um but i think when it comes to desirability right we teach women or the the more femme partner um what is it that i can do better than these other women to make that man want me more what is it that I can do to stand out more what is it that I can do to trample on people so that I win and men with the desire is which woman is working the hardest to trample so that I can offer them the transactional ability of taking care of them now that looks hard It's hard to look at now in our society because there are more women in the workforce, more women with higher education and more women with income. And the more education and the more money a woman makes, um, the less likely she actually is to be partnered long term, where as opposed to a man, the more money and education he has, the higher um, his likelihood of partnering long term goes. And so right there, we even see we teach women that when you are educated and when you can provide for yourself, there is a less sexual desirability for you as opposed to men you want to desire a woman that is, you know, obviously accomplished or, you know, sexually attractive or whatever it is that you want, but you don't want her to outreach you because then the next man above you can get her, if that makes any sense. Mm. And so we see that play out in a lot of social situations, but yeah, a lot of it is pitting women against each other. And it's not even that women want to, I, I like I said, I, I believe humans are inherently good and mm-hmm. want to be so kind and loving, but yeah, we teach people even in sexual situations. What is it in this sexual situation? I mean, we look at the orgasm gap. These numbers are going to be a little skewed, but you know, when, when a, a female is partnered by herself m- masturbating, um, she might have, you know, almost 95% chance of orgasming every time. Yeah. You partner her with another female, she's probably in the 70 percentile range of orgasming every time. You partner her with a male, she is probably like 10, 12%, like if it's a new partner. So it's pretty low. So we're having like a massive drop. And yeah. so even in sexual experiences, we see um, women saying, what can I do to look skinny, to look beautiful? To, yes. How can I angle my body in this sexual situation so that you're sexually attracted to me? When in reality, he's probably already sexually attracted to you because he's in a sexual situation with you but you're so in your head because you've received messages for so long what can I do in this moment to make my body look this way yeah and he is not thinking that at all you know we see in a lot of sexual situations in typical dialogue that sexuality I, I mean even in oh my gosh like sex education in school I don't know what it looks like in Utah but 
you know, sex is um, a male penis becomes erect, it enters a vaginal canal, it ejaculates, and sex is over. We completely skip over what sexuality is for a woman, and, like, we didn't even have a full entire graph or medical breakdown of the female anatomy until the early 2000s. That was also done by a female doctor. That's so embarrassing for humanity. Um, We don't talk about, um, you know, non binary or queer sexuality so we have these massive groups of people pretty much everyone being overlooked um except for Mm. this one small demographic and we're teaching everybody that the important person in this conversation is the heteronormative male Mm -hmm. and so he obviously has the pick (laughs) right and so we're all like how do we be desirable for this person that he just gets to desire because the only person's desires we're talking about even in an academic setting or a medical setting um is is his penis so it that's does that kind of answer your question i'm hearing so much that okay like i'm seeing like the silence like right like where if we haven't had a woman's diagram since the early 2000s like the silence of not teaching Mm -hmm. the population like the masses Can you talk to us about, like, what does – okay, so the patriarchy and these systems and the silence and um, childhood development, like, really affects us. What does it look like to be – like, what does sensuality look like in a good way? Like, what does Mm. a healthy – like, what does a healthy sexual relationship with somebody else look like and with yourself look like? When we're talking about history – we're talking about his story, right? Yeah. Like, not her story. And so, like, yeah, when we think about sexuality and how invalidating everything you've ever felt was, it's because we were telling it from the perspective of someone that doesn't even live in a body that looks like yours. Yeah. And mm. so it's very confusing yeah. Um, yeah. for your brain. And people make you feel like you're radical for yes. being like, I don't feel like that lines up with me. And then they're like, absolutely it does. And then you're like, newsflash, I don't have a penis. So yeah. it doesn't line up yeah. with me. And that's really hard for people to kind of yeah. lay down with. I think a healthy central relationship starts with yourself. I think it starts in childhood. You know, res- also re- emphasizing and respecting, um, I just want to make a quick note for this, anyone that participates in um, in orthodoxy or a more traditional religious practice um i want to emphasize that i'll make some quick cuts so that you can intertwine this with maybe your belief system in the healthiest way possible as well as people that um, maybe live in a more postmodernist perspective um so that way if there's parents listening um it can be applicable to both groups i think it's important to note that we are sexual inherently we were developed from sexual experiences or from the science of sexuality in a petri dish you know if our parents maybe struggled to um you know maybe do it the more classical way um, just based off of their body and that's wonderful that we have the science to offer people that opportunity but we were created from you know, sexual experiences and some of the first parts of us to develop um, are our sexual organs. And that's really exciting. And um, I like to emphasize that everyone starts out with a vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <laughs> so um, you should be able to view things from the female perspective a little easier, but that's just a side note. So I think it's really interesting to look at scans. We can tell that even in the womb, there'll be you know, penises that are erect and um, female fetuses that are interacting with their genitals. It's not something that is graphic. It's just a, a fact of life. I think sometimes people 
often emphasize when we get into childhood, like little boys are always holding their penises, right? But we don't ever emphasize like little girls masturbate all the time too. And I think people are sometimes surprised when you use the term masturbate with children because they'll be like, oh, just like stop touching yourself. Like, oh, that's not good. We don't do that. You know, sometimes I hear from parents like Jesus doesn't like that or that's dirty or don't do that. And like that's yucky or that's Mm. not okay. And I don't think it's parents trying to shame their kids. I think it's just like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Like stop doing that. (laughs) Right. And like (laughs) trying to like shut that down. And then, you know, you take your narrative if, if maybe you're Christian or, you know, or if you're, um, a belief system with a different God, like God thinks that's, you know, yucky to do in public or whatever. What I don't think it's people trying to use their gods to shame people. Um, I just think that's our, innate like reaction like oh let's reel that in please and um it's easier to catch it with little boys because they're holding themselves right Mm -hmm. whereas girls might be grinding on something um or rubbing themselves on something I think what's important to emphasize is oftentimes this moment when you see your child masturbating for the first time in an age space where they can kind of chat a little and even you know maybe three it's this is your opportunity yes. to start creating yes. Yes. like yes. these this healthy individual sensual sexual um, interactive communicative person and I say that also as an opportunity for parents to create a space where their child will feel comfortable actually expressing things that are going on with their body in mm-hmm. a sexual and a non-sexual way mm-hmm. because in this moment is your opportunity to teach your child whether or not you're a safe space and whether or not their body's bad and or if their yeah. body's good right mm-hmm. or what their body means so if you interact and this is where I'll try and make a little separation for religious versus non-religious people okay. um and so if you run into your child masturbating and they're probably going to be doing it in a very public setting because no one's shot them down yet um and it's <laughs> I, I want to emphasize children aren't masturbating for an orgasm children are self-soothing your genitals are a self-soothing experience um and they are they release you know different hormones in your brain that help you chill out a little bit and so children self-soothe all the time right whether they're screaming or they're pulling on mom or dad or they're sucking their thumb the genitals are just another modem um Mm, for calming themselves down or you know feeling sleepy and wanting to get tired so children aren't like masturbating to orgasm they really don't orgasm and that is where a red flag would go up as a parent if your child is participating in certain sexual acts that end in an orgasm they have learned that from someone. That's not sexually appropriate for the age group that I'm talking about around three. Um, and so that would be a red flag, just so mom and dad know. But wow. rewinding a little bit, if you see um, your child participating in masturbation or self-soothing, that is an awesome opportunity to walk up to them and, you know, figure out whatever you want to do and just say like, oh, I noticed like you're touching your body and then saying something to the effect of, isn't that so amazing that your body can feel so good? Obviously creating the dialogue so that they understand it. If they're three saying like, isn't that so fun? Like your body can feel so fun and so good and you can relax and take your nap. Mommy's body can do that too. Or daddy's body can do that too. 
but we do this when we're alone and we don't do this in public because we don't want to show everybody our body because only mommy and daddy and you can see your body right now because we want you to be safe right and then as they get older you can adjust what that looks like from a non-religious perspective for um, maybe more religious or traditional parents um, I would emphasize isn't that so beautiful that God made your body in a way that you could feel that special feeling God they love you so much they wanted you to have these wonderful special feelings or here is why or how how we do this or where we do this right and some people um in religious environments don't feel like god has allowed masturbation so saying isn't it so special that your body can feel this way god loves you so much and lets your body feel this way here is why we choose to not participate in that Mm -hmm. and here are the xyz things from your religious perspective that come along with that or saying you know god loves us so much that they allow us to have this right and creating it in the narrative that fits your family and with that i want to emphasize everybody gets terrible messaging around sexuality Mm -hmm. it does not matter who you are yeah um yeah and so if you're worried about messing up your kids sexually you will um and so (laughs) and so don't take on you know the guilt of when they're older and they're making big shifts in life it's not about you and i think sometimes that creates hard dynamics in relationships because oftentimes parents will be like what did i do wrong as a parent you didn't Mm. do anything wrong as a parent you did a great job you did your best with the energy that you had and the things that have worked for you in your life so if you're a religious person and that has worked for you you did the best you could you offered your kid the best you could if you're a non-religious person and your child ends up participating in religion and you're like what did I do why are they joining this nothing you did a great job at creating a human being that is able to make their own choices Mm. and communicate that with you you know when it comes to our wins I think parents take credit for kids wins too much too so as much as like you don't get to take credit for all of the good things that that human being is you don't get to take credit for all the, the bad things that that human is in your eyes good or bad things right quote unquote so yeah creating a sensual being really starts a healthy sensual being at a really young age in a space where now your child knows whether or not you agree with masturbation or sex outside of partnerships your child has now learned oh this is where we do it this is the safe space mom's body does this too dad's body does this too this is what god thinks about it instead of being like don't do that that's bad and then they're like okay i'm gonna do this in private because i'm still gonna do it And I also can't tell mom and dad and it's bad and I'm not really sure why. So now I kind of feel sick after I do it, but I kind of feel good when I do it. But then I feel yucky after Mm. and then I feel sad and it creates this disconnection with your body. So I think it starts really when you're super young. Um, And then do you want me to kind of go into like adult healthy partnerships? Yes. Love. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to healthy, sensual adult partnerships, I think the most important thing is remembering that the only person who needs to validate your boundaries is you um, or who needs to understand your boundaries is you. So Mm. if you're from maybe a more open idea family and they're like, why aren't you with more partners? Why aren't you dating more? Why aren't you being more sexual? Why aren't you kissing more people? And you're just like, I just need a year of celibacy like, or I just really want to wait for that one special person you don't need to explain yourself to anyone. 
Or if your family is maybe more traditional and has more of a celibate viewpoint on sexuality, um, but you feel the need to maybe sexually explore a little bit more and maybe you just have one partner that you're sexual with and you're in a long-term relationship or maybe you're um, sexual with a number of people, um, you don't owe anybody an explanation. And so understanding that your boundaries are just for you and you don't have to explain that to Mm. anyone and I think that's hard for people because when it comes to things like sexuality we feel like we have to give reasons um for something so private which is so interesting so I think the first thing is even with your partner your boundaries are your boundaries there doesn't need to be any explanation Mm. as to why you do or don't want to do anything um you know then there's the communication aspect if we're talking about someone that's partnered, whether you are in a long-term partnership or this is someone you're just spending an afternoon with, communication lies really heavily. So I think trying to take out the embarrassment, and I know this doesn't sound like brand new news to anyone, but just being able to be like, this is really what I want, or this is really what I like. If you're worried, again, this is so funny, going into desirability versus desire, I would say something to the effect of, if you don't want to hurt the male partner's feeling, instead of saying, I don't like this, you can say, I like this more, or I like when you do this. But that right there shows us just we're trying to fit the dialogue of, Mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt your feelings because I don't want you to not desire me, so how can I say this to ego boost you in this Mm, sexual situation? And so I want you to throw that out of your brain and just say, no, like, hey, like, this is what my body wants. And so I think when creating a sexual, sensual, healthy person in partnership It's having conversations with yourself, whether that's through journaling or in your mind or out loud with your partner and saying, you know what, my body really, really is telling me it wants this. I've never done this before, but like, let's try it and maybe I'll hate it Um, or maybe I'll love it. Right. And being open to testing out those new things or, you know, I kind of look at it sometimes like like going to restaurants (laughs) um sometimes with a partner you and this is for people in long-term relationships you might just be like okay like we just need to run through mcdonald's get the quick stuff just super easy right just like we just need a sexual interaction really quick let's just do mcdonald's whatever um you have like your normal restaurant like um like an Olive Garden Cafe Rio, like not great, but like, you know, like exactly what you're going to get every time, you know, exactly how you want to do it. Your partner knows what your order is. You know what your partner's order is. You can do that without communicating with one another in and out, but you still get your experience. You can have more of a formal, like sit down, like we're going to go to Pago and it's going to be this big thing and we're going to look beautiful and I'm going to pick your outfit and you're going to pick my outfit and we're going to make a night of this and we're going to draw it out. (laughs) Right. And like, so like, do you want to get Pago or do you want to go do something kind of adventurous and try this food we've never tried before. And like, I don't think I'd like this food, but if this is the food you want to try as your partner, I'm willing to back you up. I will try something once if I feel comfortable and I have the ability to be like, no, that's too spicy for me. Like I'm going to pull out of this situation and not do that. No pun intended, but um, (laughs) so um, I think that's important, um, you know, to say like, it's okay to have these classic things you want to go to, but I think, healthy, sensual people are open to the idea of, I, you know, the idea of understanding that society has created a dialogue around sexuality, that sexuality and lust is bad. Yes. And, like, it's yucky, mm-hmm. and people that are sexual, specifically women, that's not normal, that's not natural, that's yucky, and <laughs> that's bad. Yeah. It's gross. Slutty, yes, slutty. And they're looking for attention. Attention, yeah. yeah. Right? And... I, it's it's hilarious. So I think what's interesting is the idea that sexuality is 
gross. Yeah. And I, I just, I think we do ourselves such a disservice. And I think, you know, when it comes to spirituality, whether that is someone that is religiously orthodox or like one with nature or mm-hmm. an atheist, like theism is a religion as much as anything with a God. Right. And so like worshiping how you, your life, how you will, I think we put this weird label on it. And I, I, I think that's a bummer because we put ourselves in a situation now where we have created a dialogue as a society that is actually not accurate, right? So yeah. when we say, like, your wife isn't going to want to have sex as much as you boys, so, like, you're going to just have to, you know, be patient with her. And, like, women are just so much less sexual. And then we tell women, like, all of the boys you meet will watch a ton of graphic porn. And, like, you're going to have to just deal with it that's so gross and we know none of you are doing it well you've just isolated the entire community because there are women who are more sexual than men Mm -hmm. because libido is not about your gender you might have a little bit more testosterone sometimes if you have a a male member but it's going to look different for every individual and also a lot of women watch porn so then you've just made a bunch of women feel really bad about themselves um and not that porn is bad or good but you just put women in a group where you're like women you know we we know all these men watch porn you would never do that well then you've just made probably 80 percent of that group feel very bad about their sexual selves Mm -hmm. and then men being like partnering up and being like my wife or my female partner wants to have sex way more than me is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my body? Why am I not as sexual as other men? Like, mm-hmm. it, this just doesn't make sense for me. Like, and then they feel bad and they will overcompensate in male conversations, which leads to degrading mm-hmm. over-sexualized conversations. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think that's who people are inherently. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what that man wanted. I don't think that's what that woman wanted. I don't think that's what they would have said to their partner in a private setting. I think some of our best and worst selves are seen private one-on-one with our partners yeah and they it doesn't translate well in a systemic level which is such a bummer because we're trying to keep up that silence thing that we talked about right Mm -hmm. that passing down and we can only have those conversations with certain groups and so um I think exploration is a great way to do it being open to trying things that maybe your partner wants to try that you haven't thought about before I think for people that are in longer term relationships it's okay to schedule playtime sexuality is how adults play in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes we overlook that um, and so, yeah, like if you're like, yeah, my kid needs to go to the park at least twice a week because like to get some energy out and to get some endorphins and to enjoy themselves, maybe you need to schedule playtime with yourself or your sexual partner twice a week to get mm-hmm. your endorphins up and, um, yeah. and, you know, to feel connected. Um, I think also being open to yours and your partner's sexual appetites changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of goes back into the loving people as they change and as they're different and as their bodies change. Yes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Especially as women, as your hormones change throughout your life, you're going to have a, a big a big shift in your desires yeah. and what you want, what you don't want. And I think it's all about communication. I know none of this is like groundbreaking, but it's not supposed to be because sexuality is so natural for us. It's not like try this pill or try the cocoa new lube, which people love. Right. I think that's that's a plug for them. But, you know, I think we expect like, you know, try this position in that position in this place in that place and have this conversation and wear that. You could do really simple things like why don't you guys go to the store together, each pick out something you want to see your partner wearing sexually, like a really specific pair of briefs or a specific bra or something funny and then swap and then you can see like, oh, this is how my partner seen me sexually and just trying to like put on their goggles mm-hmm. and see what it is that they want or, you know, keeping that 
that door open. So I, I just want to emphasize for people, like, it's not supposed to be groundbreaking. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. this is so a part of you. It's so natural. It's so normal. Whether you choose celibacy for your entire life, you're still going to be a sexual person. You don't have to sexually act out to be sexual. Mm. And I think uh, that's important to yeah. emphasize, right? So, yeah, it's, it's not groundbreaking. It's, it's your body. Yeah. Probably every woman, I don't know, maybe not, but like a large <laughs> swath of women have experienced the silence or the shame. So yes. how do I mother myself and how do my how do I mother my actual child accepting and like non-shaming our sexuality? You're clearly a wonderful mother um, for even having the question come to mind. I think, you know, being able to see negative things that have that we've internalized and being able to be like that's a red flag I don't want I don't want them to take this I don't want them to take this don't 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 yeah right but being like oh my gosh what do I do because no one did it for me so I don't know what to do yeah um I think so much of it starts with yourself so you know before we go into how to actually interact with your children I I think it's important to acknowledge your inner child. So there's probably a very specific version of you that comes to mind when you're thinking about this internalized shame. There might be a few different images of you. So what I would suggest as like a personal workshop would be to take um, that version of you, whatever girl that you're seeing, and make her the screensaver on your phone for a while or put her picture up in your bathroom or just somewhere where you'll see her frequently. And then every time you see her, just like putting your hand over your heart and saying like, I am so sorry. Like, I'm so, so, so it makes me want to cry. But just saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry that that happened to you and I'm your safe grown up now and it's okay. Like, we're okay. It's okay. You don't need yeah. to be upset. Like, I'm I'm right here for you. Or you can be upset if you want to cry. And it's just being the parent for the child that is still living in you. And it's yeah. not that your parents failed. Yeah. It's that being a parent's really hard. Yeah. And you cannot ever meet everybody's needs. Yeah. Um, you will fall short. And that doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It just means you're a human being. And so I think all parents need to recognize your parent, your child will do reparenting of themselves as they age. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think it's really special that we get to reparent ourselves and meet our needs because we are the only one that knows exactly how our needs feel. Yeah. And so just looking at her and just giving her the comfort, you don't even have to go into the specification. You can, you know, you can say, oh, I'm so sorry that, um, you know, somebody told you that your body was bad or that you masturbated and then you felt like um, everyone hated you or that X, Y, Z, right? And just letting her know, like, that's not true. Like, your body is wonderful and I want to just give you a hug and let you know you can go do that and you are really special and really wonderful and incredible and amazing whether or not you choose to do that. And reemphasizing to yourself, your inner child, it doesn't matter what choice you make you are always the most important person to me. You should always be your number one over your children, over your spouse, over your parents. You're your number one Yeah. Um, at the end of the day. And I think sometimes people think that's selfish or ego or whatever, but you have to back yourself up. Yeah. Especially the hundreds of thousands of little versions that live in you. I kind of look at inner child work as maybe, you know, we're in Utah, so referencing pioneers. Um, you're like pulling your hand cart up a mountain 
And all of the different versions that live inside of you should also be pulling the handcart with you because that, you know, it's all the different yous that are assisting you in life now, right? All the different mm. experiences and versions of you, they should be helping maneuver that handcart up the mountain to this end, you know, beautiful life experience. And there are some versions of us that are tied to the back of the handcart that are getting dragged. Mm-hmm. And it makes it harder to pull the cart. Mm-hmm. And it makes it hard to want to move the cart. And we're also in pain because a different version of us is in pain. So as we're pulling someone and they're getting like smacked by a rock we're feeling that in Mm -hmm. our body even though we're not the one getting hit by the rock right and then we see someone else like a child that might also be about to get hit by rock and we're like how do I stop this but I don't want to freak you out so I'm not going to say anything and like but also don't get hit by the rock but what should I say that there's a rock like you know all of those things right yeah (laughs) notice the rock don't notice don't notice the rock (laughs) so So, uh, yeah the rock is invisible the rock is invisible and that's where we get the silence loop is the rock being invisible so I think that's what I would say working with yourself is just being like, yeah, I'm really sad about this. And maybe just really grieving. I, yeah, I think grief is yeah. unexpressed love, whether that's for someone else or for ourselves. And, you know, you might need to grieve something pretty heavily right now and or and then you feel healed from it. And then maybe you'll he- grieve for it a little bit in 10 years. And like we never fully let go of full love right so we're never fully going to release this grief it's not going to be debilitating anymore but yeah I think um allowing yourself when you do have that to be like oh my gosh I feel I feel really sad like this was a bummer for me and like this was a really big disadvantage for me and just kind of emphasizing that I think also understanding that we are not our feelings we we do not take ownership over our feelings they move into our mind and they move out of our mind and they move into our body and they move out of our body and they're allowed to stay and resonate and work through whatever they need to work through for as long as they need so when I have really negative feelings come into my body I like to say like and label them like hello grief or hello sadness or hello self-hatred I'm really upset right now and I can tell like we just need to work through this and you can stay here but like you can't live here and so like I know you're gonna move eventually and that is what's making me feel okay about this is I know like this is my body not your body Mm -hmm. and you will leave and so like Mm -hmm. I know it's gonna go away and so that's kind of what I would say for the individual experience as for children so let's say you had a lot of sexual self-shame built up as a child and then you start to see your child participate in sexual interactions with themselves masturbation they're very young and your flag goes off of like oh my gosh like why are they doing that that's embarrassing but then also being like I don't want to say anything because I don't want to shame them and like this could be like what's the best move so then you don't say anything and then we perpetuate that shame cycle that silent cycle we talked about earlier I think the the best thing to do is one if you choose to not say anything forgive yourself if you feel like that was the wrong choice if you choose to say something and you feel like you say the wrong thing forgive yourself for maybe saying the wrong thing um so be really loving and gentle with yourself you've never done this before so it's not like you should know how it's no big you're gonna mess it up and keep that in mind um and then just remembering like you know if you've already emphasized to your child well I guess if you haven't emphasized your child before pointing out like oh I noticed that you were exploring your body today and learning more about your body parts. What body parts did you learn about today? Mm-hmm. And really being um, able to label it. And so if it's, you know, a male child being like, did you touch, did, when you touched your thigh, I noticed that it made you look at your penis and then touch your penis. 
and then kind of go into, you know, we only want to be able to um, do this in a safe environment. And that's with mommy and daddy or mom and mom or whoever at the house with us. And, you know, I just want you to be safe and I want you to learn about your body. Or if, you know, if it's a child, I noticed you touched your vulva. And what was that experience like for you? And then reminding them, like, that's so special that your body can feel that way. Um, remember, we always want to be safe, right? Mm-hmm. If you ever have any questions about your vulva or your vagina or whatever we're talking about specifically, um, I want you to come and ask mom and dad. Like, mom has a vagina too. And yeah. so let's talk about yeah. our vaginas. Um, if you have any questions about it, you can ask me about how they feel or how they're not supposed to feel or if it's uncomfortable or if something bumps it, right? And just make it a conversation of like, I noticed like you were playing with your Barbie doll and... Then you put your Barbie doll down and you chose to instead touch your vulva. Why did you choose to touch your vulva? Mm -hmm. And just asking the question. And then they might be like, oh, like, it just felt good. Or I don't know. Like, I just want to. Kids really probably don't have a reason. She probably won't have a full-on conversation with you. But what you're doing right there is creating a conversation where she knows, oh, yeah. Like, if I I touch my vulva or if if something goes on with me sexually or with my penis or whatever... I can just, like, talk nonchalantly to mom about it. Like, I can bring it up and, like, you don't have to have a conversation of, like, this is when we do this and this is when we don't do this and blah, blah, blah every single time, right? You can just be like, oh, I noticed. Or you don't have to say anything every time because if you've created a foundation now where you've let them know and they may reach a certain age where now it's appropriate to say, you know, we... If if you are comfortable with your child masturbating, if that fits your ideology, um, letting them know this is something we do in private. So when mom and dad aren't around, if this is something you want to do and you relax, you can call it taking a break. You can call it, you know, rest time. You could call it needing to relax. Why don't you go into your bedroom? Like I noticed you're about to touch your vulva. Why don't you go take a break in your bedroom? And then when you're ready, you can come out and join us and yeah. make sure you wash your hands. Yeah. And just, like, dropping it. Like, yeah. it doesn't need to be this big, heavy conversation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or yes. just being, like, well, go ahead. It's kind of this idea of, like, be the calm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Like, where you're, yeah. like, okay, I don't want to pass this. So, because you're just containing it in a safe way. Yeah. And And I like the idea, too, where um, you're creating an environment of something is going wrong with you know, my genitals and a lot of parents might not even know because Yeah, she like, might be itchy, she might be burning, like that's yeah. why she's touching herself. <laughs> like yeah. it might not be sexual at all, but you're yeah. instantly like, oh Yeah. Yeah. Like so I think that just creating well, like seeing it in action of like being the calm and not having the freak out, but then doing that to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that that alleviating of the heaviness. Like mm-hmm. sometimes um you know, like I think that just my emotion around the thing is just too heavy. Like yeah. it's actually heavier than what what's going on. That, what is actually going on? Yeah. I really liked the hand cart analogy. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that, like, that was that, beautiful. Like the pulling of the other yeah. hundreds and thousands of versions of our, of of yourself. I really like that. Like um, yeah, go back and get her, fix her up, and then bring her to the front. Yeah, we'll go back and get someone else. Trust me, someone will pop up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like the uh. The ability of, of all of the pieces of you are working together to move towards that bigger goal. And so if we can collect the pieces of ourselves mm-hmm. to work towards ourselves and our goals, then it's easier to go to the children and, and say, hey, 
It's harder. I think it's yeah. hard to parent ourselves. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so hard. hard. <laughs> okay. I have a question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can we can we talk about masturbation for a minute? Yeah. 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 Okay. I would. So everything that you've said, like when you say like, oh, historically this, or <laughs> like <laughs> you you are extremely extremely validating. So I would love to just let you like riff on, um, <laughs> on why do we? Yeah. Like why do we? Why do we feel so much shame? <laughs> Also, like, scientifically, I would love to know, because I know, like, okay, like, religiously, there's this idea, probably throughout multiple religions, maybe not all, but um, the religion I was brought up in, like, it was very, very against the rules, very Mm. against the rules. And so, is, like, scientifically, like, if you do that when you're younger, does that make you more, I don't, like exposed to std like (laughs) is is there scientific like should we really not be doing that or is this just like culturally collectively we're very uncomfortable with this so we're just gonna put a stop right here like yeah it's a cultural and collective thing yeah yeah get it girl riffing on masturbation yeah Um, (laughs) um so yeah historically speaking well actually just science-based yeah masturbation doesn't lead to someone being like more sexual or more likely to get an std or whatnot we have you know actually Okay, so animals in general, a mm-hmm. lot a lot of different mammals will masturbate or um, sexually interact with one another for no rhyme or reason. Like, it's really not a big deal to them. It, you know, it's important to acknowledge that we're mammals as well, and mm-hmm. that's something we participate in. And, you know, we've emphasized this quite a bit from the podcast. I, I get asked a lot about masturbation and parenting, mm-hmm. Um in sessions so this is a a common concern for for most people um so this isn't like some niche topic this is everybody comes in and they're like my kid was touching themselves um and so then then we kind of go into that a little bit so um i think what's interesting you know based off of your question is it a science thing is it a cultural thing what we can see is you know there is this blow up in the science community the idea that masturbation leads to homosexuality. And that's simply not true. I'm not really sure where that came from. I wasn't alive during that. But that was the idea in the science community at the time. And for for decades and eons and gajillions of years, right? Um, traditional religion and, well, I guess just religion. And science, it's, it's never matched up, right? I mean, we burn people at the stake for being like, the earth is the center of the universe and like, you know you know god would of course put us in the middle like obviously right and science is like no that's not where we're at and so like we've been like hitting heads right for so long and really when we first see science and um science and religion come together is when science you know the scientific community is like hey masturbation makes you gay and then science, and then, you know, religion was like, true. <laughs> and they're like, let's partner up. <laughs> and then we kind of create this narrative, right? That's where we start to see maybe a heavier push of, you know, don't masturbate. And if you don't masturbate, I just want to emphasize that is not a bad thing at all. And you shouldn't feel bad about the sexual choice that you've made. If if that makes you feel closer to your body or um, closer to your deity, I think that's really special um, that you get to make that choice for yourself. So that's wonderful. Um, but just kind of, you know, going back a little bit to the science and the, the system of it all. Yeah, pretty much just centers around the culture of 
humanity, right? Creating some interesting dichotomies together. But yeah, we see kind of a development of it. And, you know, you have to, you know, I don't want to give people slack for being homophobic. And that's absolutely not what I'm doing. Um, and I, I want to emphasize that for sure. But I think it is important to be able to understand the context of why people were making choices in that time period based off of understanding the context of that time period. Um, while also knowing that even if we understand the context, I don't think we'll ever fully understand what it's like to live in a time period if you haven't been there. Yeah. Right? Like you can watch a show about Scientology and, you know, learn all this information and pe- and listen to people's experiences that are Scientologists or have been. And you will never know yeah, what it what, so what it's like, so right? True. Like, and then like you bring it up to one person and they're like, that's not my experience with it. And for better or for worse. And so it's the same with, you know, the development of societal ideals and science and science is ever changing and, and religion is ever changing in a lot of ways. And so, um, that's kind of when they first started holding hands, science and religion, um, in the realm of sexuality. You know, we also see (laughs) Catholicism is a, a massive religion and they used to allow their priests to marry and they would be married and have kids and blah, blah, blah. And then when they die, everything they own would go to their family, like a normal system and the catholic church you know cut that off and had the opportunity to inherit everything from the priest instead of it going to a family so as a financial type gain and this is not a dig at catholicism this is just historical i think catholicism has some great perks and um, my grandma's catholic and go go the pope but um (laughs) they right after you know catholicism creating that rule that financially benefited them the same way the develop of penance worked in catholicism they then were like well we have to have a reason why god would say this so (laughs) god said priests shouldn't have sex and so that's why right and so that's what we're gonna do and so it's kind of a similar um you could see similar relationships if you're looking at like a historical and science perspective but to answer your question no like there's i would say there's probably endorphin benefits to a self-soothing regulatory system but there is no practical reason there might be like a internalized or religious or spiritual perspective or personal whatever reason but no that's not going to hurt you another thing that i'm wondering if you could just specify uh one of the things that i hear so much with women is i'm different or i'm not normal Mm. so what what is normal like what is normal i think that is ties so well into this conversation specifically you saying like women say i'm different or not normal that is one of those narratives there is no such thing as normal and so the narrative that that's attached to is desirability right Mm. so i'm not normal or you know the idea of maybe she has a higher libido than what she's been told women have. And that kind of goes into the conversation we had a little bit earlier. There is no such thing as normal. If we're talking about health and you feel like there is maybe something going on physically, like there's some discharge discoloration or some pain, or you feel like you get tense or you, um, you know, there's burning during penetration or a close down, I would say that is medically... Um, something you should see your MD about. I would say that is a medical concern. I would never use the term normal. Totally. But as far as like, so maybe we might be experiencing some physical discomfort. Mm -hmm. Talk to your doctor. Yeah, you should not be feeling physical discomfort. When people are like, oh yeah, it might hurt. No, 
it shouldn't hurt. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that shouldn't ever hurt. So if you're experiencing that, you know, women, men, you know, a fairly sexually advanced man could take anywhere like five to ten minutes to orgasm comfortably. Um, it'll take women at least 15 minutes of foreplay, about 45 minutes if she has a lot of practice to comfortably and skillfully orgasm. So if you aren't having at least 15 minutes of interaction beforehand, yeah, that's probably going to cause some discomfort. Um, And it's not, I wouldn't say it's not normal. I'd say it's not healthy to be in pain during a sexual Mm. situation. And that teaches your body that it has to follow through on sexual interactions when it's uncomfortable. And that teaches Mm. some distrust with your nervous system. Mm. So wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then what about yeah. what's like so as far as like what what feels good or what I like or what yeah. there's no like whatever you want like that's normal. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. You'll know when you orgasm. Okay. For sure. You'll be able to be like, "Oh yeah, that's not what I'm usually feeling." Yeah. Um <laughs> and so it'll be something that stands out. But no, I mean there are lots of different types of orgasms the body can have right mm-hmm. whether it's from oh my stimulation gosh yes please of... tell me yeah <laughs> what kind of orgasm there's, what types of orgasms <laughs> there's a, depending on the the body that you live in there are you know basically just different areas that can be stimulated whether it's from your near nipple area your cervical area your vaginal canal area your you know, your G-spot, I guess, kind of goes with the vaginal canal area. There are sensory areas for other people, such as, you know, adrogenous zones, neck, ears, um, things mm. like that. For, I don't know the ratio of male listeners you have, but, you know, whether they have foreskin or not will kind of play into the difference in orgasm. You know, you have the clitoral orgasm. I think there are a lot of taboos around men's sexuality and orgasm as well. The male G-spot is about a knuckle deep into the rectal area and then you push forward towards like the belly button you'll feel the prostate and just like a slow massage while also stimulating um the penile area so for queer hetero or individual partner that would interact with um a male in a sexual way so those are something to take into consideration as well does that answer yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah no end game i think it's important for people to Mm. keep in Mm. mind like sexuality or sexual interactions whether it's with yourself or with a partner the end game shouldn't be orgasming it should be connection and learning about your body and your partner's body and so it takes the pressure off of it 100 (laughs) right and so the pressure and you can just be like yeah i'm just i'm kind of done now right but like i'm so glad like we got to spend time together i loved connecting and like whatever, or with yourself, like, I loved connecting with your body, I'm so glad we got to do this together, but, like, I'm ready just for a break, like, I got what I needed, and, and I think that that's totally doable, I think we have the pressure of, like, this is a failed sexual experience if I don't orgasm, or I'm not sexual enough because I don't masturbate, or I don't have sex with people, or I want to wait till marriage, like, my opinions on sexuality don't count because I'm not sexually active right now, like, that's not true, like, Mm -hmm. you get to have all of the validity in the world, because you just do mm-hmm. like you just inherently do yeah mm-hmm. yeah you inherently do wow oh my gosh okay so i know people are gonna listen to this and be like i have a question <laughs> 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 i would like to talk with <laughs> everybody wants to talk with becca for show 
But yeah, so you can always DM me. My email is on there. My um, phone number is on there. Okay. Um, and yeah, the best way to contact me would either be through email or DM. Okay. So um, yeah. Awesome. So slide yeah. on down to the show notes. And yeah. Freaking <laughs> click on Becca's email. Yeah. Started with what up, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This has yeah. been a complete honor. And this is the thing. I am surprised every single time. Every single time I think we're talking about sex. <laughs> like, I always think it's going to be a titillating conversation. And it's so emotional. Oh, yeah. God. And, like, yeah. deep, like, rooted, like, that's every connected time. to you. Yeah, it's so... It's where we stem from. Yeah. Hmm. So thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you. All of your knowledge, all of your insight. I love you just riffing on any topic. <laughs> um, it has been a great honor to spend time with oh, you. So thank Seriously, you. thank you, Becca. Yeah, I loved getting to be with you guys. We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out.